Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 389 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asked you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. Before we start this episode, I want to wish everyone a happy, happy holidays. I hope that you were able to spend time with your family. I hope that you're able to get to see your family. Uh, if you had to work like myself, I hope that it wasn't as unbearable as you know it could be. If you don't celebrate Christmas, if you are not of that religion, if you're not of that mindset, I hope that you did whatever you did celebrate, if you celebrated anything. I hope you enjoyed your holidays, and I hope that you continue to enjoy your holidays through the New Year's. And that's kind of where we're going to start this episode. New. There, at some point, you get it, it's it gets tough trying to describe something differently than you've already described it. Like how can you? It, I think the art of podcasting, the art of analyzing things, is finding creative ways to say something different about the same topic, right? That's what I'm going to try to do about this Baltimore Ravens 49ers game. Now, going into the game, there's a reason why this game was hyped up as big as it was. You had the number one seed in the NFC going against the number one seed in the AFC at this point. You had the best offense versus the best defense, the best... It, 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 you had the MVP candidates, Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey. You couldn't script a better rollout for this game. Not to mention it was on Christmas. You could not script a better rollout. Now, I can admit that while, yes, I have faith in the Ravens. I think what the Ravens are doing this year is special. The way that they're beating teams, the, the myriad of ways that they're beating teams, they just can't, they, they can beat you more than one way. And I think that that bodes well when we talk about deep playoff runs. But I will admit that going into this game, it was very hard for me to see an avenue that led to the Baltimore Ravens winning. Now, that's not me disrespecting the Baltimore Ravens like some people did in the national media world. But what it's saying is, I'm looking at both teams' track record. And while the Ravens do have a track record, it, uh, and a good one at that, don't get me wrong, I mean, going into the game, they were 11-3. and three. I was looking at the 49ers' track record. And I was looking at their 11 and three and how they have been, they were dominant this entire season. The three losses that they have were obviously in a row. And when they were missing very key parts of their offense, whether that was Debo Samuels, whether that was Trent Williams, whether that was Christian McCaffrey, when they're, when, when the, the puzzle isn't whole, that's where you that's that's where they struggled. But going into this game, 
both teams were healthy. I mean, as healthy as can be, of course, we know about Mark Andrews. But when the 49ers are healthy, they have been an unstoppable. In fact, when the 49ers are completely healthy, Brock Purdy has not lost a game. And going into it, it's not like they're having these are cupcake games. That's not the case at all. They've beat the 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 Eagles. They beat the Cowboys. They they're destroying teams. High-ranked teams. Now, Yes, I will admit that the Baltimores are doing similar things. But I just, it was just hard for me to see an avenue in which the Baltimore Ravens won this game. I didn't think, I thought that, of course, there were incentives and there were perks, obviously, for winning this game as far as mental edge, uh, obviously being number one in your, your conference. But I just didn't know. I was I wasn't as confident in the Ravens as I should as I should and could have been because on, as quiet as it's kept, as much as I praised and as much as I as high as I felt about the 49ers coming into this game, I kind of felt the same way about the Ravens. I just didn't put as much stock into that because again, and it's kind of like the Michigan Wolverines. I think it's ironic that. Both Harbaugh brothers, one obviously is the coach for the Michigan Wolverines, and the other one is the coach for the Baltimore Ravens. I think it's ironic, and I think that is kind of poetic in a way, how they both approach the game. Because they both approach the game of football very similarly. And that is, there's this thing in sports that we like to call style points. And people love style points. Style points makes sometimes fights style points is it's it's not if you win it's how you win at times now that can get into tum team's way of course but style points is something that you see not just in football not just in fighting but in general for a perfect example basketball a layup in a alley-oop or a layup in a dunk are both two points. But when you when you see your mans on a fast break and when you're on a fast break, you hope that they're going to dunk the ball. It's a style point. And then even when it's like, even when your mans lays the ball up, it's like, bro, why, why didn't you dunk that? Why didn't you dunk that? You know what I'm saying? It's style points. And for the Baltimore Ravens, they don't really care about style points. They don't care how they beat you. They don't care what margin they beat you. They just want to win. Now, obviously, every team wants to win. <laughs> obviously, every team tries their best to win the game. But, again, it goes back to those style points. Some teams care about the layup. Some teams care about the alley-oop. Obviously, they both get you two points, but... There's a, there's, a, there's a different level. When we talk about the Baltimore Ravens and the Michigan Wolverines, both hardball coached teams, they don't care about style points. They will beat you running the ball, as we've seen, and for some reason people don't want to admit Lamar Jackson can throw the ball and win. The defense can, can win. The Ravens can beat you in a multitude of ways. But, again, I wasn't looking. It was just very hard for me to get over that. 
I needed to see. That's what it is. I needed to see someone beat the 49ers at full strength with Brock Purdy because I have not seen that yet. But what the Ravens did on, was it Monday Night Football, on Christmas, against the 49ers is the prime reason why I think that this team not only could and probably should land themselves in the Super Bowl, but have a very good shot of winning. Again, I know that is just one game, but every game has a story to it. The Baltimore Ravens beat the 49ers 33-19. to Now, there are, there are aspects of this game that you, it's almost impossible to expect them to happen again. Like the Ravens had five interceptions. I don't expect Brock Purdy to throw four interceptions. I don't expect if they do play again, if they do meet again, because obviously the only way this season they would meet again is in the Super Bowl. I don't expect Brock Purdy to throw three interceptions in the first half. I just I don't that's that's kind of unrealistic to expect that to happen again. I don't expect Sam Donald to come in and throw an interception. I just that's something that is very hard to expect. But there are aspects of this game that can be duplicated. And that obviously is is coming from the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens came into this game obviously with a chip on their shoulder. Seeing as though they have pretty much conquered almost every opponent they faced this year, and seeing as though their three losses that they had, they were leading in the fourth quarter. Every single game they've been in, I believe, they've led in the fourth quarter or going into the fourth quarter. And the fact that you take all that data and still have them as large underdogs, actually. I, I see the, the motivation there. I see the motivation of, okay, we're going to show the world exactly who we are. On top of that, you still have, there's still people to this day that have that Lamar Jackson can't throw the ball. Lamar Jackson's not a good quarterback. Lamar Jackson can't understand offenses. There's still parts of the world that believe that and parts of fans that think that Lamar Jackson is only good for running the ball. So, yes, the motivation may not be the same, but obviously as we get closer, this team, and there's something that I haven't thought about. Somebody, I, I don't remember your name, bro. I know I saw it on Twitter or X, whatever you guys call it at this point. I don't remember your name, but I'm, I'm going to give this guy credit. This is an original thing that I found out. He brought, he, he brought to the attention of Twitter, obviously, that, yo, every single year, Lamar Jackson, we talk about Lamar Jackson getting injured. The last two years, Lamar Jackson missing the end of the season due to injury. Well, before those injuries, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens were always atop the AFC before he got hurt. Now, mind you, 
especially last year. I think last year was was big in that point too. Last year, almost every that wasn't or last year, two years ago, their entire running back room went out. And the Baltimore Ravens have over the recent years have been riddled with injuries, unfortunately. But I understand the motivation going into the game. And I understand that there's obviously there's a point where you understand that you're not going to be able to change people's not everyone's mind obviously some people are steadfast in their opinions and there's nothing wrong with that hell most of these podcasts including mine mine is like that too i'm obviously open to my opinion being changed but there are people that are on platforms that are it is very hard for you to change their opinion no matter what data you present. But when I said that there are things that can be duplicated, if both these teams, not just both these teams see each other again, but moving forward, we're starting to get to a point where you know what it is? Remember that conversation that we've had? I know the conversation has kind of slowed down these last few years, but that conversation where Lamar Jackson continues to get better and better every year. Well, that's we're seeing the the residuals of that right now. Lamar, the, the, the thing that was promising about this game, it's not the fact of how dominant the Ravens were on both sides of the ball. It's not the fact that Lamar Jackson threw for 252 yards for two touchdowns. It's not the fact that it's not what Lamar Jackson did. It's what Lamar Jackson didn't do, which is the tall tale sign of growth. For me, when we talk about Lamar Jackson and ultimately this Ravens team, Lamar Jackson and a lot of quarterbacks you see, but we're talking about specifically Lamar Jackson. He likes to. It's like every he plays every down like their last. Now, I understand that that is a saying that we hear a lot. You play every down like it's your last. I get that. But. Sometimes. It's okay to take the check down. Sometimes it's okay to throw the ball out. Sometimes it's okay to die to to kill this play. And Lamar Jackson, I feel like he tries so hard to to make every play a positive one. When I say a positive one, I mean down the field. Sometimes it's okay to just throw it out because you don't have anybody. For for the last few years, we've seen Lamar Jackson force things a lot, and that's why while his touchdown rate, his passing yards continue to go up, his interceptions go up a lot too, as well as him fumbling the ball. Well, he had zero interceptions against the 49ers, against a team that is known for how stingy they are on the defensive side of the ball. Lamar Jackson was the best player on the field. Like the entire night. 
I would say the second best player on the field was probably Kyle Kyle Hamilton, but Lamar Jackson was the best player on the field. And he didn't make the beauty of it was he didn't make one mistake. One the only mistake he made was when the you know, he was scrambling, he scrambled too far, he went in the end zone, and the ref tripped him because the ref fell, tripped him, threw the ball, intentional grounding in the end zone, which is obviously a safety. But again, there are so many things that can be do- replicated about this game. How how aggressive the defense was. I just said that Kyle Kyle Hamilton was probably the second best player on the field the entire night. The way he's played like an all pro. The, the, this defense was ferocious. Again, it had I don't expect them to have five interceptions obviously, but I do expect them especially with a game of this magnitude with an opponent of this magnitude. I expect them to be up. I expect them to have energy. When you have Roquan Smith, Jadavian Clowney, I continuously say this he's having one of his best seasons he's had as a pro. Darby was good. Like it it was a complete game. And I said last episode and we've heard national media talking about the MVP. And I do agree with RG3 to a certain extent. Lamar Jackson did snatch the MVP. Now, again, I do feel that if there was any year, I will say this. If there was any year, again, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If there was any year to give the MVP to a non-quarterback, this is the year. I do think that if it is going to go to a quarterback and if it's going to go to the best quarterback, it has to go to Lamar Jackson at this point, especially when we see where the Ravens are, how he's playing. It has to go to Lamar Jackson. But I understand that it wasn't the best game uh, for the 49ers, but Christian McCaffrey still ran for a hundred and three yards and I think had 28 receiving yards. So Christian McCaffrey still had, you know, a Christian. It wasn't obviously a Christian McCaffrey type game, seeing as though they didn't win. But Christian McCaffrey was still great. So, again, if you're going to give a the MVP to a non quarterback, this would be the year. Again, whether we talk about Christian McCaffrey, whether we talk about Tyreek Hill, if Tyreek Hill does get to the 2000 yard mark, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that with his ankle injury. Um, and seeing as though there's not many games left, I think there's only like three or two or something like that. Three, I think. Maybe two. (laughs) But Lamar Jackson has played like the best quarterback in the league for majority of the league, for majority of the year. And it goes back to style points. No, he doesn't have the most passing yards. No, he doesn't have the most touchdowns. No, he doesn't have the most uh, rushing yards. No, he doesn't have the record for most rushes, rushing touchdown and passing touchdowns. He doesn't have that. And I'm not taking away from what anyone else is doing. This has been a really solid year. I'm not going to say great, but a solid year for quarterback play. 
But when we talk about importance to a team, when we talk about finding ways to win at the quarterback position, when we talk about improvements, there hasn't really been anybody better this year, at least, than Lamar Jackson. I understand that. I think week after week, like I said, the, the MVP favorites change weekly. And I think that's because there has been some solid quarterback play. But it also has changed because they're trying desperately to give it to a quarterback. I get it. And I'm not saying Lamar Jackson should get it just off of technicality. I think that he has been the catalyst of this team. And he is the main reason, outside of the other factors, but the main reason why I... <laughs> why the Ravens were my preseason pick to win the Super Bowl and why Lamar Jackson was my preseason pick to win the MVP. Everything that I thought was going to happen outside of, I did think Lamar Jackson was going to have just a tad bit more touchdowns. And I thought Odell Beckham Jr. was going to have more touchdowns, but I'm not taking away for how great this team has been. And Monday, Christmas confirmed that they can beat anybody. Now, I do think that, and I'll talk about this probably when I do my predictions next or on Wednesday. I mean, on Saturday, I'm sorry. I do think that we did, they did just get over the most important game of the season, the, the, the most pivotal game of the season. I think that. <laughs> Next week is 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 it. I think if you win next week against the Dolphins and the Ravens have historically, or at least in recent history, have struggled against the Dolphins, if you beat them with that speed, we'll see. We'll see. And for the 49ers, again, there's a lot of things that I think are I think won't happen again. I think the turnovers, once you get into a hole against a good team or against a motivated team, which we're going to talk about in a second, once you put yourself in a hole, it's very hard to climb out. I don't matter how good you are. And what the 49ers did is they put themselves in a hole with those three interceptions. I don't think that Brock Purdy is now terrible. I don't think that Brock Purdy is trash. I don't think that Brock Purdy... His name shouldn't even be discussed in the MVP. I don't think that. But what I do think is, and what we've been saying on this podcast is, the Ravens are going to do something that the, the league has, or the Ravens were going to try to do something that the league has failed to do, and the Ravens succeeded at, and that is put the game in Brock Purdy's hands and see what happens. For the the Ravens played this game both offensively and defensively perfectly. Yes, Christian McCaffrey ran for over 100 yards, but it wasn't as effective as we're used to because they said Christian McCaffrey is not going to beat us. Adebo Samuel is not going to beat us. Brock Purdy is going to have to beat us from the pocket. Now, 
On top of that, George Kittle had 126 yards. Brandon Ayuk had 113 yards. Again, Christian McCaffrey had 103 yards and rushed or and had 28 receiving yards. But obviously it wasn't as effective, again, when you put yourself in a hole like they did. So I think that this game was more about how great the Ravens were outside of exposing anything that the 49ers have. Because, again, the 49ers have been dominant this entire season, and they've been dominant when they have a fully healthy squad. This is the first time that Brock Purdy has lost when his team is fully healthy. And they don't play the Ravens every day. <laughs> so, and the Ravens is is one of those teams. We talked about, stop. I mean, stop. We talked about uh, matchups and how matchups make fights. There are some matchups that are tougher than others for other opponents. For instance, I'm sure that the Baltimore Ravens, with the way they're built, with the way that they approach the game, the way that they are on defense, that team is probably the worst matchup possible for the 49ers because a lot of the um, advantages that the 49ers go into games with, the Ravens have a perfect counter. For the Ravens, one of the – that's why I said that the next game is it. I think that the Miami Dolphins is a incredibly tough matchup for them because of their speed receivers. The Ravens struggle, and they they struggled last year. They were up big and then lost the lead quickly. They struggle with speedy receivers. Now, I think we're going to have to see, you know, what the Jalen Waddle thing, if he's going to play or not, but – you know, and the health of Tyreek Hill, but they the Ravens do struggle with speed in the and obviously they're the, the 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 fastest team in the league. So I'm not saying that the 49ers are I think that this is more about the Ravens and how they won and how dominant they look compared to the 49ers being exposed. I'll just say that. And yes, I do think that if you're going to give the running or if you're gonna give the MVP to a quarterback it has to be Lamar Jackson's. If you're not, I understand if someone like Christian McCaffrey, who I think is more deserving of the MVP, seeing as though how important he is to his team, gets it. Or Tyreek Hill, if he gets to 2,000 yards, which is going to be tough, especially going against the Ravens. But shout out to the Ravens for beating the 49ers 33-19. Uh, to 19. The one of the one of the other big games and and game that shouldn't have been that big pause, but was due to obviously the outcome was the Raiders beating the Chiefs twenty to fourteen. Let's talk about what we know and what is clear as day. Motivation, we just talked about that with the Ravens and 49ers. Motivation plays a huge part in sports. Motivation, when you're going against a rival, when you're going against a division opponent, when you're going against someone that you don't like, whether we're talking about fighting or UFC or boxing, 
motivation is an added advantage for for a lot of people. And especially in football, when you're talking about divisional opponents, which every divisional opponent pretty much is a rival, things are going to – you're going into the game with more focus because you want to beat that. You don't want to lose to a divisional opponent. So going into the game, and that's why even though they have been on the losing side a lot more in recent history than the winning side – the Raiders and Chiefs games are always physical. They're always good games to watch because, again, again, at the end of the day, the Raiders ain't trying to continue to get taken back of the woodshed by the, the Chiefs. And if even if they do lose, that is the Raiders, they are physical games. And especially with Antonio Pierce now leading them the charge, they're coming with physicality. But let's talk about the Chiefs. I think this game was more about the Chiefs than the Raiders. Again, shouts out to the Raiders. They did exactly what they were supposed to do and ultimately won. And and, and this also goes to my first point, my very first point. It's very hard. I think it's, it's a skill to continue to talk about something, continue to reiterate something in a different way. I think that people are starting, people are starting to, I think the Chiefs are starting to come around to the fact that this team is not a Super Bowl caliber team. This team, I'm not going to say cooked, because a team that is led by Patrick Mahomes that has Travis Kelsey that's coached by Andy Reid that has Chris Jones on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not going to say it's cooked. But what I will say is we're going to talk about identity when we we talk about the Eagles-Giants game, but it works perfectly here. The, The Chiefs are struggling with their identity. And with them struggling with their identity, they're struggling on how to approach games. And with them struggling on how to approach games, they're not that good. The Chiefs are all of nine and six. And honestly, their record probably should be worse. I don't need to talk about the wide receivers and how poor that wide receiver room has been this year. We've talked about that. I don't need to talk about the fact of Patrick Mahomes is is trying to play hero ball at this point because he knows, just like we know, the deficiency, the deficiency in which he has with his wide receivers. I don't we've talked about that. What we'll talk what what, what I think the most effective thing to talk about when this or in this is not just how we got here, but where we are. The Chiefs are, as crazy as it to say, the Chiefs are now a team that has to be defensive-led. I know. It's crazy to think about. 
gone are the days where this can be an offensive-led team, at least right now. Because they've tried that. That's why I said their identity is kind of they're, – they're in a weird place identity-wise. They've tried that this entire year to be led by their offense. They tried the trick plays. They continue to – you know, Lamar uh, – not Lamar. Patrick Mahomes has high volume in throws. And I, and I get it. I get why we are here. Because that is what the Chiefs have been with Patrick Mahomes. They've been a pass-first, extremely offensively creative team. And they've been a juggernaut on the offense. Hell, they won a Super Bowl last year being a juggernaut on the offense and their defense being good, don't get me wrong, but they still were a juggernaut. But we've seen it all year. And at at some point, we have to accept what we are seeing. And what we are seeing is this team can't be carried by their offense. I know it doesn't have to be because their defense is one of the best defenses in football this year. But they're still maneuvering and operating like it has to be. And the problem with that, and that's where it goes back to identity, is not only should it not be, it can't be led by their offense anymore. Because their offense is not good. The Barbers, again, I, I t- I'm going to talk about this later in the show, but it's about habits. What habits can you lean on at week 16? Because you just don't build new habits starting week 16. These habits were built in week 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way up to 16. So how do you expect something to drastically change in a span? Like, no, the wide receiver receiver room has struggled mightily with drops. Guess what happened on, on Monday? They struggled with drops. Patrick Mahomes has done too much sometimes. The thing that we that we um, kill Lamar Jackson for the last few years, trying to do too much, playing hero ball, the same thing we talk about with Josh Allen, trying to play hero ball because he understands the deficiencies around him. That's what Patrick Mahomes is starting to do, which is why you're seeing turnover after turnover after turnover. On top of that, you're starting to see he's frustrated. I've never seen Patrick Mahomes this frustrated. Yelling at coaches, yelling at teammates, yelling at refs. Cause he understands he when you when you're a greatness man and you're surrounded by non-greatness, you see it, you feel it. And I think that there's also, and I talked about this last episode, there's a level of non-acceptance. You do not want to accept that you are not where you've been majority of your career. You are not. The the Kansas City Chiefs, since Patrick Mahomes has been a starter, has been a perennial Super Bowl candidate. Super Bowl caliber team. That is not what that is today. In the slightest. Going to the days where Patrick Mahomes, like, he feels it. He knows it. He knows this identity is slowly changing for the worse. 
But on top of that, what's even worse, and I think what's even more frustrating to Patrick Mahomes, is it's not just this team. You look around the landscape, and you can feel it. You ever been playing pickup basketball, and you look at your team that you that you have, and you look at another team that's about to come, or a team that's waiting, or the five that's waiting, and you think that's going. I don't. I, <laughs> It's going to be tough. We got to figure out how to beat them because I don't – with this squad, it, I'm going to have to do a lot. I don't know. You ever go into a game – obviously, as a hooper, as an athlete, you always give yourself the confidence. You always give yourself the machismo of, oh, I can beat anybody. But you ever look and said, I don't know how the hell we're going to win. That's what Patrick Mahomes is seeing right now. Because you look. Look at the AFC. And and look at teams peaking at the right moment. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills in a second. We're going to talk about the Browns in a second. The, we just talked about the Baltimore Ravens. And if they played right now, do you give... Who do you think is going to win? The Kansas City Chiefs or the Miami Dolphins? Right now. I understand they played earlier this year. We're talking about right now. The Kansas City Chiefs, as we've we've known them, is not who they are right now. Now, obviously, things can change. Moves can be made. Trades can happen. Free agents can be picked up. But as we sit here today, the Kansas City Chiefs is not a Super Bowl caliber team. They can be a good team. I think that their defense is still good. And, again, they have to be defensive-led because their offense ain't doing it. Travis Kelsey hasn't had a good year. No, Nobody on the offensive side of the ball has had a good year. Patrick Mahomes hasn't had a good year because he's had to force things. And usually when you force things, especially in the NFL, usually things don't turn out good for you as we saw against the Raiders. I think Bleacher Report had the the title, and I, and I agree perfectly. Their offense is broken. And I don't know if their offense can be fixed this year. A lot of the, the pieces that they leaned on didn't pan out. That's another thing that sucks about the leagues. That sucks about professional sports. Sometimes the 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 pieces that you pick and you put in place to help you to carry you just don't pan out. Like Kadarius Tony, like Sky Moore, like why? Like the homie from the offensive line that they paid all that money to, and he's been god awful for the Chiefs. In fact, let me say with this man, I'm not gonna look it up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put him on blast like that. Yeah, I would, but I just don't feel like it about. <laughs> A lot of the pieces that they thought would carry them hasn't, or they thought would be great compliments. To Patrick Mahomes has not been. And then you get what you've gotten this year. 
But shouts out to the Raiders for beating the Chiefs 20-14. to 14. What I will say about the Raiders is, and I appreciate that Bleacher Report and ESPN and all these publications are picking up, Antonio Pierce deserves a long-term contract. And I don't say deserves because, he's, let me say this, he's earned a long-term contract. He's been great. Even if win, lose, or draw, I know that they're still under 500, but it's it's not about just wins in the, in the NFL. It's how your team plays. And are they competitive? And Antonio Pierce is, you know what it is? Antonio Pierce, like I said, is exactly what, is exactly what Jeff Saturday was for like a game. Jeff Saturday was a great coach for one game, and then, you know, he he was still a leader of men. He he still knew locker room talk. He still knew how to connect with his players. Uh, but you know, but Antonio Pierce has been great. And shouts out to the Raiders. So let's move forward. How um one thing that yeah, I talk about this a lot. And I've talked about this a lot for the past few episodes, and that is the margin of victory or margin of error or margin of anything. Living in the margins. <laughs> that was the title of an episode of the podcast. What I think the biggest issue that I have with the Dallas Cowboys and the biggest problem that the Dallas Cowboys have this year is I don't think they understand the difference between the margin of error at home and the margin of error on the road. So the Mil- the, the Milwaukee, <laughs> the Miami Dolphins beat the Dallas Cowboys 22 to 20. Now, what it is, what... what the reason why I come to that conclusion is, and especially talking about this game, is Dallas played better. They were the better. It felt like they were the better team in this game. I mean, it didn't feel like it, but Miami had more passing yards. Miami had more total yards. Dallas did have more rushing yards. Dallas. Mm, Dallas won the time of possession. But in the small things, like Dallas had 339 total yards, Miami had 375. They both averaged six yards a play, you know. Dallas had 97 rushing yards. Miami had 91. But what what the difference was is the margin of error. Dallas had one forced fumble or lost fumble. Dallas was – back Prescott was sacked four times. And third down efficiency, Dallas was at 33% when Miami was at 46. And Dallas had five, six penalties, one being a crucial one at the end of the game. 
and Miami had five. I don't think Dallas suffers from an identity crisis. I don't think that at all. I think Dallas knows what they want to do, how they want to approach every game. I will give credit to Mike uh, Mike McCarthy. I'll give credit to Dak Prescott. I'll give credit, credit to that team. But again, the things that you may possibly be able to get away with at home or mistakes, mistakes are magnified when you're the road team because the momentum, the momentum doesn't swing as much for the road team as it does for the home team, meaning the home team can mess up a couple of times. They they still have the home crowd. They still possibly can have the momentum. And even if they don't have the momentum, because they're home, it can swing back to them quickly. That doesn't happen for away teams. Penalties, timely penalties, turnovers, interceptions, fumbles, those become monumental when you're the road team. And... For Dallas to be undefeated at home and have a three and five record on the road tells it all. Again, I know when you look at the stats, it was close, but it felt like Dallas was the better team. They just didn't execute at the end. And Miami executed much better than Dallas did. I mean, if you look, the things that you thought were going to happen happened. Dak Prescott. Had an okay game, 253 yards, two touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb went crazy, 118 yards, one touchdown. It's just the little things. I'm, I, I think that this, I'm not, this didn't expose Dallas. What it just showed is, yo, they, they're, gonna, they're a dangerous team already, don't get me wrong, but what happens when you play a road team, when you're on the road? They're, it's, it's, I'm not saying their focus is off, but that margin, of vic, that margin of error shrinks considerably. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know. And, and for, the, for the Dolphins, the the conversation surrounding both teams was both teams struggle going against teams with a winning record and and by no means was this a pretty game for either one of these teams but Tua did have 293 yards a touchdown um Tyreek Hill had 99 yards no touchdown that's why Jalen Waddle uh I think he has a high ankle sprain I think the report or rumor is that he can be out for the rest of the regular season that's going to be costly um i don't know i don't know i know robbie chosen uh he went out of the game i think it was with a concussion i'm not too sure what it was but miami did what they were supposed to do you know i for for some reason i don't know why they just didn't put jalen ramsey on cd lamb until like the end of the game which didn't make sense to me, but hey, obviously didn't matter. They won. So shouts out to the Miami Dolphins for beating the Dallas Cowboys uh twenty to twenty two or twenty two to twenty. 
Then we get to the Eagles and the Giants. The Eagles beat the Giants 33 to 25. But as we sit here today, the theme of this episode has been identity. We talked about identity almost every single game so far. My question is to you, what, as we sit here today, what is the Eagles identity this year? I can wait. What has been the Eagles calling card this year? Not in previous years, not last year, this year. What is the one thing that they can hang their hat on and say, this is our identity? I think that's the biggest issue with the Eagles. Mind you, yes, the Eagles are 11-4. and four. But it, it it doesn't feel they don't it's not feel they're not even close to as dominant as they were a year ago and it just doesn't feel like they know what their identity is even which which is scary to a certain point and in both ways I mean scary in a good way because for a team that doesn't really know what their identity is to be eleven and four is great. But on the flip side, for a team that's 11-4 and four that doesn't really know what their identity is, going into the playoffs is tough. Like, what can we lean on? Jalen, Jalen Hurts hasn't been, that, hasn't been consistent this year. The running game hasn't been consistent this year. Now, I know that's tough saying now, seeing as though, you know, Jalen Hurts did have a rushing touchdown. Uh, DeAndre Swift had a touchdown as well. Jalen Hurts also had a passing touchdown to Devontae Smith. But what is their identity? A.J. Brown had 80 yards. Devontae Smith had 79 yards. Dallas Goddard had 71 yards. And the rushing side, DeAndre Swift had 92 yards. I think, I think identity is important because identity – Identity is more important in crisis, let me say that, than anything. And on top of that, knowing your identity and having an identity is is like a, what's the word? It's like a, uh, a safety blanket for, for teams. Meaning, when all else fails, you know what we're good at and this is what, this is what we're, we excel at, this is what we're going to do. This is our game plan. If our even if we try to switch the game plan, if it doesn't work, we know what our calling card is, and that is what we're going to stick with. Identity. The Ravens, what's their identity? Smash mouth off smash mouth football. Physical, run the ball. That's their identity. Even if Lamar Jackson's having a terrible day throwing the ball, you know that their identity is not going to change. They're going to play physical, hard-nosed defense, and they're going to run the ball. The Dolphins, their identity, speed. <laughs> We're going to pass the ball everywhere because we have the speed to do it. Identity. I think and what, what the Eagles have struggled with is 
they don't really have anything to lean on this year. They're again, Jalen Hurts has been inconsistent. You can say it's due to injury. Cool. I'll 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 play ball with you. But the running game has been inconsistent. The offensive line has been inconsistent. And, that, and that's another thing. And I think that's what's kind of frustrating to them. Because I know there was a report out saying that there was some frustration in the locker room with how some of the play, you know, how they approach with analytics and how some of the players think that they should, they should go about games, how the coaches think they should go about games. I don't remember who said it. But I think it's perfect. And I think it, it, it's, it's great. And I think that it's exactly what we're seeing here. I think that I don't think they have to be perfect, or I don't think that they have to blend a hundred percent perfectly, like a hundred percent compatible. But I do think that there has to be, personality-wise, there has to be some overlap. There has to be some um, similarities in your the personality of your head coach and your starting quarterback. Again, I don't think they have to be exactly the same, but I do think that the way that you approach the game, the way that you react, and just your personality has to be similar to your starting quarterback. It's kind of like backup quarterbacks. One of the biggest reasons, we talk about the Ravens, and one of the biggest reasons why you knew Joe Flacco had to get up out of there uh, when Lamar Jackson cemented, cemented himself as a starting quarterback is because the last thing you want is a backup quarterback that plays completely different than your starter. Because in that case, if your starter goes down, Lord forbid, you want someone that can plug in and play similar styles to your starter, which is why you had to bring in Tyler Huntley. You can't have what... Patrick, let me see. You can't have Lamar Jackson as your starting quarterback and your backup be a non mobile quarterback like Case Keenum. Like, it's not going to work. I kind of feel the same way as the head coach. You can't have a stoic, professional, um, quiet starting quarterback and have a flamboyant balls to the wall. Uh, brash head coach. I think that especially when the waters start getting uneasy, that re- you don't really have similarities to lean on. So that's that's why you you hear turmoil in the locker room. But you, again, you also hear turmoil in the locker room is because they don't have an identity. And I think that when you look up today. This team, the Philadelphia Eagles, thought that they would be better than they were, than they are. I'll say that. When you go, you go to a Super Bowl, you are dominating majority of the Super Bowl. You just ultimately lose. And while you do give up a lot, a lot of core pieces left, a lot of core pieces stayed. So you think that you're going to be better, but you haven't been, you know. And uh, that sucks. But, and again, it goes back to the Kansas City Chiefs and habits. They're, they're, they've had this habit all year, so it's not like they're going to flip it. I just, I think that when you get, if you get to this point and you're still struggling with identity, you're still struggling, struggling with, you know, how, you, how are we going to play? What is our calling card? What is the one thing that we can lean on? 
it's kind of hard to uh, yes you can make a deep playoff run but what i will say <laughs> we go back we talked about baltimore even with the 49ers we know what their identity is their identity is christian mccaffrey and 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 physical play kind of like the ravens shouts out to the Eagles for beating the Giants 33 to 25, but it shouldn't have been that close. Especially when you're starting a quarterback when the Giants are starting a quarterback by the name of Tommy DeVito and they benched him for Tyrod Taylor. And honestly, they were a pass away from losing. <laughs> I understand this is a divisional opponent and and it goes back to what I said about playing up to snuff, but come on. Especially a team that before the game was five and nine. Shouts out to the Eagles. Uh man, I I will say this. I will say this. And I said this last episode, I'll say it again. Buffalo is peaking at the right time. I know that it was not a pretty game. That Buffalo the Buffalo Bills ultimately beat the Chargers twenty four to twenty two. It was not a pretty game. But they did find a way to win. And this is the le- the things are that's another this is another team that does not bode well for the Ravens. Um this team is is you're starting to figure out, or they're starting to figure out that they can beat you in a myriad of ways, whether that's Josh Allen throwing the ball, running the ball, James Cook has been a godsend to them, like Leonard Fournette. Oh, Dan, he got some touches. Look at him. <laughs> Gabe Davis had 130 yards and a touchdown. Whew. Wow. Now, the Chargers, their season's pretty much over. But, yeah, this Buffalo Bills, man, they can beat you in a lot of ways. That's all I'm saying about that. So, Shouts out to the Bills. There's there's not much analytics there. Shouts out to the Bills for beating the Chargers 24 to 22. I think now of course you have the top team like you have the Ravens, you have um the 49ers, you have those teams, but one of the scariest teams right now in the NFL, not just in in a conference, one of the scariest teams in the NFL are is the Cleveland Browns right now. The Cleveland Browns beat the Tennessee Titans. I mean, I'm sorry, the Houston Texans, 36 to 22. Again, this I have to continue to give a shout out, not just to Joe Flacco, but to Kevin Stefanski. I think a tall tale sign of a good compared to bad coach is how what again you know your limitations you a coach should know your players limitations and their strengths and to go from a player and we talked about the difference between a starter and a backup and how they should be similar they went from a player in Deshaun Watson who yes he was struggling this year but we know his type of play style. You went from that play style to Joe Flacco, who plays completely different than him. And you're getting the best, not just out of Joe Flacco, but you're getting the best out of this team. I mean, 
Joe Flacco threw for 368 yards, three touchdowns. Amari Cooper had <laughs> Amari Cooper had his best game and one of the best games in NFL history with 265 yards, two touchdowns. Like this team being I think it also helps having an adult in the room and having somebody with Super Bowl experience. That's an, that's another thing that isn't really talked about a lot. Having Super Bowl experience is important, you know? And Joe Flacco, it it feels like Joe Flacco has turned the tide of this team. And and that's no offense to Deshaun Watson, but he hasn't he wasn't playing well. That's just the god honest truth. Boy, this team. Mm. Now, I do think that the Texans, you know, obviously they didn't have uh, they didn't have C.J. Stroud. He was out with injury or concussion still. And Darius Mills, he's not good. I mean, he threw 149 yards. He did have two touchdowns. And Case Keenum had two interceptions for 62 yards. But this is all about how. I'm not even going to say change the fortune. I think because this defense has always been good, the Cleveland Browns defense. I think what the story is is how getting somebody off the street and Joe Flacco has changed not or kept them afloat to a point where keeping this this Cleveland Browns team afloat is the difference between Super Bowl caliber and not. And... I, there's, I, I don't have much negative to say about this team. That's, yeah. Shouts out to the Cleveland Browns and Joe Flacco and Kevin Stefanski for beating the Houston Texans 36-22. to Hey, man. Yo, shouts out to uh, the Detroit Lions for beating the Minnesota Vikings 30 to 24. I think this is uh the first time that they won their division in like 30 years or something like that. Uh God, that's crazy. That's a crazy stat. Um Now, I'm not taking away from anything that the Lions have done. Definitely deserving. But it is a um there's a weaker division this year when we talk about the Vikings, we talk about the Bears, we talked about the um, Green Bay Packers, even though two or three of the four teams obviously won this this week or last week or Sunday. <laughs> but shouts out to the Detroit Lions, man. The, again, that's one of the – it's very hard for me to understand this team and it's very hard for me to really – you know what, actually? I'm talking myself into... I think that the Detroit Lions are learning, or we saw the ebbs and flows of a good team learning how to be a good team. I don't think that we're used to seeing that in real time. Either you have a history of being bad, and then you're ultimately, or you're instantly good, or you have a history of being good, and then you're just instantly bad, whether that's trade, whether that's people leaving free agency. We're not used to seeing a team that's good and that's been bad for a while learn how to maintain their greatness like the detroit 
We've been talking about the Detroit Lions as a potential Super Bowl caliber team. We've been talking about that for the longest. But one of the reasons why we've been skeptical is because of their history and because of the fact that you have a team that, might I say, um, looks all the parts of a Super Bowl caliber team one week. Then you have a team that looks all the parts of a team that has been down in the dumps majority of its tenured. So what we're seeing in real time, this Detroit Lions team matriculate and Detroit Lions team grow as an organization, grow as a team. I mean, Dan Campbell has been great. Jared Goff has been great. David Montgomery, uh, Jameer Gibbs, Amos St. Brown, James Williams, Williamson, like, there's, like, Jameson Williams, I apologize for messing up your name, this, this team is great, this team is great, and this team, I'll say this, if they play to the best of their ability, if they play to the best of their ability, they can beat any team. And on top of that, they're one of the few teams that I feel you do not want to see in the playoffs. Because even their defense struggled for a while. Now their defense is rounding into form again. That's, the Detroit Lions is not a team that you want to see, I'll tell you that. Well, shouts out to them for being the Vikings. Also, shout out to Justin Jefferson, bro. He had some incredible catches that game, bro. Now, he got drilled on a lot of them, but Justin Jefferson is steadily reminding people why he is him. I mean, Nick Mullins threw for 411 yards, but he threw for four interceptions. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And shouts out to them, bro. I've said this before. Now we'll say this again. Your talent, a lot of times, your talent supersedes anything else, especially in a sports arena or in a sports world. If you're talented, a lot of times you get away with more than someone that obviously isn't as talented as you. Now, what I'm not saying that what George Pickens was doing was egregious. You know, there are people that have done much, much worse than George Pickens, and I'm not putting them in the same category. But what I'm saying is when you become more of a distraction than or when you become a distraction, I'm not going to say more of when you become a distraction and when more times than not, they have to answer questions about you then that's when you start if your talent isn't there you're gone and the whole non-block thing that we've seen and the pouting and the immaturity that we've seen for George Pickens a lot of people question why is he still considered important enough to keep around as long as he you know through everything well the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cincinnati Bengals 34 to 11 and George Pickens alone 
had 195 yards, two touchdowns, four receptions. That's talent. You, it don't matter. There's there's wide receivers that can't do that, obviously. And that's why. Now, now, do I think it's right? I mean, a lot of times in sports, you're not basing basing on what's right to what's wrong. You're basing on what produces wins and losses. And George Pickens produces wins. Well, when he plays like that and he is capable of playing like that, I mean, he had character issues at Georgia. I ain't stop him from drafting him. And I think it's also interesting how the whole talk of is Mike Tomlin going to be fired or should he leave? They destroyed the Cincinnati Bengals, a divisional opponent, and uh, now they're talking about contract extension. Shouts out to them, man. Shouts out to the Pittsburgh Steelers for beating the Cincinnati Bengals. So. This is another team that is unfortunate. Well, they've they've had a roller coaster of a season, and that is the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks beat the Titans uh, twenty to seventeen, and they have had a. I mean. You went from being one of the best teams in the NFC to now fighting for playoff lives. And they're not even in the playoffs. They're in the hunt now. Um, But they beat the Tennessee Titans. And this game was a a perfect microcosm of their season. And that is the Seattle Seahawks. They're they're in dogfights with teams that they shouldn't be in. One minute, Geno Smith looked god-awful. The next minute, Geno Smith looked great. I mean, threw for 227 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, DK Metcalf had a touchdown. Kobe Parkinson had a touchdown. Kenneth Walker only ran for, rushed for 54 yards. Like, I don't, this, because of games like this, because of how their season's gone and how inconsistent they've been is why I'm, off the Seattle Seahawks bandwagon, obviously. But uh, they did beat the Tennessee Titans. And this is yet another game where, yo, I don't understand how many times someone is going to get a shot or someone's going to get an opportunity to prove that they're not the guy. And that was Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill hasn't been good for the last few years. He wasn't good. This, I mean, the only, the only passing touchdown – was to was from Derrick Henry. So I don't know, man. But uh yeah, shouts out to the Seattle Seahawks. So oh, man, I knew we were gonna get to this point at some point, but I'm conflicted. I'm conflicted in a lot of areas. So the Washington, the New York Jets. I, I, okay, come on, man. I gotta find the composure. The New York Jets beat the Washington Commanders thirty to twenty-eight. Mind you, Trevor Simeon was starting quarterback for the Commanders. I mean, for the Jets. 
They didn't have a receiver go over 100 yards. They didn't have a running back go over 100 yards, but that didn't matter because Brees Hall was just a man amongst boys. Wait. Brees Brees Hall received for 95 yards and, oh no, received for 96 yards and rushed for 95. Okay. This is why I say I'm conflicted. Because as I mean, as a Commanders fan, man, I I understand what's going on. I understand. I understand that there's a uh, obvious talent discrepancy. I understand. I understand that for a good chunk, that's a lie. For like one or two games. I thought maybe three or four. I thought Sam Howell was the future of the franchise. I'm like, yo, Sam Howell has been much better than I thought he could possibly be. He is the future of the franchise. And the reason why I said three to four games, because that that thought drastically left. And he, yo, Sam Howell is terrible at seeing the field. And Sam Howell makes easy, for NFL players obviously, makes easy passes extremely difficult. Whether the way whether you run in the opposite direction or you try to throw across your body, like what are you doing, Slim? <sighs> Jacoby Brissett looks much better than him, but it's like we've seen Jacoby Brissett in a full-time quarterback role and he kind of like a poor man's Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's like a cycle. You do good a couple games and then you just plummet. And if we... I don't know because are we going to be in the running to get a Caleb Williams? I think we're drafting like fourth right now. I don't know. But I I don't know. I don't know. Because it's like I, I get I also get what uh what's his name? I also get what um Ron Rivera's trying to do because it's like why would I help you guys? I wouldn't win. Why would I try to help you guys get a better draft stock in the draft position and lose these games and effectively tank if I'm not gonna be here? So I'm just helping a team that is going to end up firing me at the end of the day. I, I know what you're doing, son. Oh, boy, let me move on. Shout out to the Jets. Jesus Christ. Shout out to the Bears for beating the Cardinals 27 to 20 or 27 to 16. Week after week, Justin Fields continues to put pressure on this on this team. I mean, on this franchise as far as what to do moving forward. He didn't have a grandiose game. Like, he didn't have a great game. He only threw for 170 yards, uh, but he did rush for 97, and he did have a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown, and Khalil Herbert also had 112 yards rushing, and Cole Komet had 107 yards passing. Damn, so hold up. (laughs) Hold up. Justin Fields threw for 170 yards. Cole Komet alone had 107. Round, move the four. 
You're telling me that 60, that 63 yards was, damn. Shouts out to them. But yeah, shout, damn. <laughs> Just, yeah, bro. I, I, the, the Cardinals have a lot going on. So do the Bears, but yeah. I'm interested to see what happens in this draft. I really am. <laughs> Let me, I don't think it's going to happen, but if Caleb drops to four. Oh, please, Jesus. Shouts out to the Bears. Yo, you talk about blown opportunity. The New York or New England Patriots beat the Denver Broncos 26 to 23. I think, and I, uh, what's his name? Shannon Sharp said it. I think that wins obviously allow teams to mask issues, mask problems. And it also allows situations to not look as bad as it is. I do think that the Denver Broncos were riding a high streak and were riding a hot streak as far as they were they were playing well. They were playing good teams. They were playing their way into the playoffs. But win streaks, momentum, and ultimately wins does kind of mask the fact that they're not – they're closer to what the team was – in the beginning of the season, then they then they are to completely changing around. I don't think Russell Wilson's going to be the starting quarterback of this team next year. Do what I know. I'm, I'm thinking, well, I want Russell Wilson. I wouldn't mind. I'll say that having Russell Wilson as the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders, but I don't know. Oh, no. But shouts out to Bailey Zappi and shouts out to what's his name? Farmar? Um Christian Barmore, man. He was the effect he was the factor of this game. He's honestly the biggest reason why the New England Patriots won this game. Uh he was great. But yeah, the Denver Broncos blew their chance to make I'm not gonna say blew their chance completely. They went from like a forty two percent chance before this game to like five percent. They need a lot to go right, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You're 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 not mathematically out, but you're pretty much out. Uh, but shouts out to the New England Patriots, which I also think is funny. Winning cures a lot of things. Cause now you're hearing reports of saying that Bill Belichick might come back. Yeah, shouts out to them. <sighs> I gotta talk about the NFC South again, man. The Atlanta Falcons beat the. Indianapolis Colts 29 to 10. Yo, Taylor Heineke uh balled out. 290 or 229 yards, one touchdown. Bijan Robinson 12 12 rushing yards for 72 yards. What am I saying? 12 rushes for 72 yards. He also has seven catches for 50 yards. So that's 132 yards for people that know math. Um uh, twenty, hundred and twenty-three. <laughs> Look at me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, bro. I don't know what the the Colts need Michael Pittman bad because they they had nowhere else to turn to, like no one. 
And the Falcons, yeah, I saw the reports. I saw the article saying the Falcons can be a scary team in the playoffs. Man, you don't get the – no, no. Shouts out to them, though, for winning. Uh, oh, Shouts out to the Green Bay Packers for beating the Carolina Panthers 33-30. to This game shouldn't have been as close as it was. And honestly, if you played, if they played a more experienced team and a team that wasn't as young and wasn't as devoid of talent as the uh, Panthers, they probably would have. I mean, Bryce Young had a great game 312 yards, two touchdowns. Trooper Hubbard had a touchdown. DJ Chalk had two touchdowns. Yeah. But small, I mean, younger teams make. Or decisions, especially talking about clock management, and like they didn't get a playoff at the end of the game, they didn't get out of bounds. So, shouts out to the Green Bay Packers. So. And lastly, shouts out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for being the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yo, I, I talked about this all season, and this is start again. The, the people do not understand and people are underestimating how important it is not only to build good habits in the beginning of the year, but how tough it is to break bad habits in the middle of this, not even middle of the season, towards the end of the regular season. The Jacksonville Jaguars and especially Trevor Lawrence has struggled with turning the ball over. I talked about this before. I put this in a in a reel. I put a video out about this. They struggle mightily turning the ball over. And that's cool and sweet when you're playing the Commanders or when you're playing the Jets. But when you're playing a good team, that's going to – there's there's no way – their talent can be playoff bound in, in, in a deep playoff run, but they're, they're not talented enough to supersede turnovers. They're just not. And – it it continues to happen. Like the the biggest reason, the biggest reason, like, yo, he Trevor Lawrence had two hundred and eleven yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, and those two interceptions were huge, like. This team is only – Trevor Lawrence is a problem, has a problem turning the ball over. He's had that major, pretty much his entire career, and that's going to – well, at least in the NFL. And that's going to hinder them and hinder any chances they think they have at making the playoffs. And also, shouts out to uh, shouts out to Baker Mayfield. I mean, there's been a lot of crap put on Baker Mayfield. I've said a lot of things that – had were true, um, but Baker Mayfield has been great this year, and he's been good enough that the the Buccaneers are pretty much going to keep him as a, as a starter for the future, um, and he's 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 well earned it. So shouts out to him, and shouts out to the NFL for week uh, was it sixteen? Yeah, or was it fifteen? Is it fifteen? Sixteen? What week is this? Sixteen? Sixteen. With the NFL, we also had Christmas uh, Day basketball games. And I'm not going to debrief and 
do a br- brief breakdown with all the games and all the teams. But what I will do is I'll, I'm going to talk about some of the things that I saw from each game that I think can be a positive and a negative for these teams moving forward. Let's talk about the New York Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the New York Knicks beat the Bucks 129-122. to 122. Let's start with the Knicks. Let's start. Let's start on the. Actually, let's start with the negative. Let's start on the Milwaukee Bucks side. We know that it was going to take a while to um, gel. When you have a star that's not used to playing on a team, that he's not the only star. It's going to take time for him to figure things out. It's going to take time for the offense to figure things out because, honestly, Damian Lillard has been a – obviously, he's been a son for the for the Blazers, which means that everything pretty much revolves around him. Well, that is surely not the case for, the, for him in Milwaukee. And – the problems that I thought were going to rise are have arose. And they're still early enough to fix, but these problems do need to be fixed. And the main one is defensively. Now, I didn't foresee the front court being as poor defensively. As as poor defensively, seeing as though you have Giannis and you have Brooke Lopez, I didn't foresee that being as poor defensively as obviously the backcourt. But this team struggles mightily on the defense side of the ball. Now I do also think that it's like a string. Their backcourt struggles with you know the Dam- uh, Damian Lillard playing defense, and it just matriculates down. But this team has the potential to be obviously NBA champions. But if they do not shape their defense, and there has to be some point where you get more out of somebody else. Like there has to be more. I mean, because if you look, Chris Middleton had 24. Giannis had 32 and 13. Dame Lillard had 32. But Giannis was a there's plus minus was negative five. In fact, the only starter that had a a positive plus minus was Chris Milton. And Chris Milton's been inconsistent as well this year. So yeah. Like I, I just think that there's things that they need to clean. I know it's crazy when you're talking about a twenty two and eight team, but there's things that they need to clean up. Um yeah. Yeah. Now on the Knicks, I think the Knicks are are still are starting to come around to the fact that Jalen Brunson is their nucleus. He is their best player, and they, I mean, we saw that on Sunday with the fact of Julius Randle didn't take as many shots as he usually does, um, and people are hitting that you know. Like, R.J. Barrett had two for five from three. Emmanuel quickly went two for four and had 20 points off the bench. When you're playing a team game like that, the Knicks, the way that Jalen Brunson is able to, you know, score, they're going to be tough to beat for anyone. Uh, They just have to find more consistency out of an R.J. Barrett and out of 
a Dante DiVincenzo. He had three points. And Josh Hart, he had 10 points. But I think they're going to be good. Now, then you get to the Golden State Warriors playing the playing the uh, Denver Nuggets. And the only takeaway, I don't really have much, actually. The only takeaway that I have from the Nuggets is they have done a very good job in masking the defensive deficiencies from Nikola Jokic. And what the Golden State Warriors did was they put that on full effect. They put that in front street. It's like, yo, you, we know you can't defend like that. You're not staying in front of us. And they just kept going at Nicole Jokic. I mean, yeah, it was, it was, yo, Dario Saric had 14 points. <laughs> like, uh, Kavon Looney, he had four, but, you know, it was, it was just, I, now I understand in the paint, you know, how big Nikola Jokic is. It's going to be tough, especially with a small team like Golden State. But the the Denver Nuggets have, has done a really good job in, a, in masking that, seeing as though Jokic had 26, Jamal Murray at 28, one of his best games, if not his best game of the season. Uh, Aaron Gordon at 16, Michael Porter Jr. had 19, Quintavious Caldwell Pope had 16. It was It was what we're used to seeing. From this team, the starters give you 95% of what they got. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then and I do think that that could come back and bite them, even though it didn't last year. They need more production from the bench because if they don't, it could be a a long day in the playoffs, even with a, a player as great as Nikola Jokic. For the Golden State Warriors, it's hard for me to assess what I saw. I was I was actually more positive. I take more positive out of this game than negatives. Seeing as though we know, Steph Curry has a history of not playing well on Christmas. He like he hates playing. He only had like one thirty point game. He has not played well at all. Now I'm not saying that that should be a cop out, but I mean, Clay Thompson at this point of his career this season he's been very hot and cold either he's going crazy or he ain't hitting nothing I mean he three for 10 three for 12 from the field like and I think that they they I don't they they possibly would have won this game if Draymond Green was playing now I will say give a shout out to Andrew Wiggins he played really well especially the second half of the game Jonathan Kaminga has been great this season um Pezeminski has been great too. But I think that this team, even as great as it can be, I don't think, unless you make a move or, or something at the trade deadline, I don't think this is a championship caliber team, even with Draymond Green being back. I just think they need another star, and they don't have that. But I will take the positives out. This was a back-and-forth game all game, uh, and I thought it was good. So. Go to the Lakers, and I don't. I don't really have much on this outside of 
the margin we talked even in basketball the margin of error is is not not wide for the Lakers I mean you AD had 40 points uh LeBron James had 16 Tarian Prince had 17 Vanderbilt had six how much did Austin Reeves had 11 Rui Hachimura had 12 Cam Reddish had five like they do not have it has to go through LeBron James and Anthony Davis and hopefully Austin Reeves, but there's a reason why Austin Reeves got moved to the bench. Like, he hasn't been playing well at all. And the Lakers, they do not have the wiggle room to not play well. Like, one of their stars has to go off. As unfortunate as it is, LeBron James can't go 5 for 14. They're not going to win. Even with AD going for 40 points, they're not going to win. Because... They have not shown the ability to have anybody else go off. I mean, Christian Wood didn't play. Like, yeah. And for the late for the Celtics, man, I think this game was honestly won because of uh Derek White. Like, he's been great. He has been the perfect glue guy. I was talking to my friend. Derek White has been much better this season than Clay Thompson has been. In fact, if Clay Thompson was what Derek White was for Golden State this year, they'd arguably be in the play in in championship contention. Uh everyone I mean James or Jason Tatum was good, Porzingis was good. Everyone was pretty good that that played. The different the, the problem and that I kind of arise or that arises with this team is they play a lot of one-on-one ball. They've done that for a while now, and it hasn't worked. So I don't know. I mean, I know you have Porzingis and and Justin Holiday, so we'll see. But yeah, that it, it hasn't worked that much as far as championship wise before. I just don't know why they think it'll happen again, or I don't think you know. But I, I do think that they, if they don't win this year, if the Boston Celtics don't win this year, I don't know what the hell else they can do. You know, so we'll see. Um, I'm definitely not talking about this for too long. The Miami Heat beat the Philadelphia 76ers 19 to 13 or 119 to 113. Uh Joel and B didn't play. Jimmy Butler didn't play. I will shout out Jaime Jaquez cuz he had a 31 point game. He was the best player on the floor. Uh he he was great. And if they continue to get production out of him with Jimmy Butler being there and Bam out of bio, they could have a legitimate big three. Not saying championship caliber big three, but they have somebody that can that can carry the load offensively. So when Jimmy Butler doesn't have it. So shouts out to the Heat and Jaume Hawkins. Oh, boy. And I guess we'll stay on this for a little bit. There's been a lot of talk and a lot of conversation this week about, you know, article arising saying that Kevin Durant and the well Kevin Durant has been frustrated with the Suns and the Suns can feel that seeing as though they're currently under 500. They just lost to the Dallas Mavericks on Christmas 128 to 114. Luka Doncic continues his scoring barrage. He he put a 50 on them. 
And I talked about this, I think, last episode or the episode before. When you put all your cards in the middle of the table. In fact, I was talking about the Phoenix Suns. When you put all your cards in the middle of the table for one player, for two players, you can't, or for three players, you can't afford that player or one of the three players not being there. And I do think it's concerning that we exactly don't know what's going on with Bradley Bill, but we do know that something is going on where he can't be on the floor because they need him, obviously. And what a shocker that Bol Bol can't see the floor. That met to had his best game of the season. In fact, that Josh Okogie had one point. Nasir Little had zero points. Azabuki had four points. Jordan Goodwin had two points. Devin Eubanks had two points. What a shocker. Kevin Durant, a report can't come out like that, and then you go, you have 16 points, bro. This is what's going to happen, bro. This is, we talk, again, margin of error. The margin of error has shrunk when you trade pretty much your entire bench and your entire team for you and Bradley Bill. I don't know what you expect was going to happen. It's tough, you know, very tough. And I thought I kind of felt this way going into it. A lot has to go right for this team to win. Yes, having Bradley Bill, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant is good, but where is the defense? It's going to be tough, man. So I understand this frustration, and it's just it's also crazy the arc and the career path that Kevin Durant has been on since. You know, since leaving Golden State, it's unfortunate. But I get it. Yeah. Oh, I will also say shouts out to Luka Doncic for being the youngest player, I think, ever to pass 10K in scoring. Shouts out to you. And lastly, before we go, we got the unpopular topic of the day. So... (laughs) Um, Joseph Parker beat Deontay Wilder over the weekend. Um, and it was it was an ass whooping, bro. It it was it wasn't even close. That's how bad it was. Not close. Now I understand some factors played a part, seeing as though. This was, I think the size discrepancy, I think Justin or Joseph Parker was much bigger in weight than um, Deontay Wilder. I get that. But you accepted the fight. Cool. I get that Deontay Wilder hasn't fought in two years. Cool. Like he hasn't seen a ring in two years. Cool. And this was his first time back. But I talked about this last episode when I was talking about the Ravens and how different the Ravens are. And for the longest, the Ravens have been Deontay Wilder, seeing as though their their signature is their 
punching power and their signature is how hard they punch. Well, if they don't if they don't land that punch or if that punch doesn't connect, what do they have to lean on? And for Deontay Wilder, I thought that those two years he was going to refine his game and refine his his um let's say his boxing boxing acronym. Um now don't get me wrong, he's not terrible. I mean, he's like forty three and three. Yeah, 43-3-1 and and 42 knockouts. But the same exact thing that I saw when Deontay Wilder fought Tyson Fury is the same exact thing, and it looked the same exact way when he fought Joseph Parker. When you have to lean on your skill, Deontay Wilder doesn't have it. I hear a lot of people saying he's done. I don't know. It's very hard to step out of the ring or step out of any sport for two plus years or two. Yeah. And and come back and be as dominant as you were. The thing is, though, the game continues to move on, whether that's basketball, football, boxing, anything. The game continues to move on with or without you. But if you do not develop a freaking if, if you. If you don't feel you need to develop a skill, that's one, then that's that's all you, brother. But if you do not develop a skill, what? how do you expect? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's going to be tough. Tough. And Deontay Wilder looked outclassed. He, it wasn't close at all. At all. It was damn near terrible. Like, he got destroyed. To the point where I understand why people say, oh, he's, he's done for. Because, again, it just he just looked outmatched. And it looks like it, it looks like it might. The same Deontay, it's like. When you have when when somebody puts a dent in your or a chink in your armor. Do you rise to the occasion or does that chink become permanent? And it kind of feels like Tyson Fury exposed something in Deontay Wilder and it hasn't been he hasn't been the same since, obviously. If this is the end for him, hey, I think he was a a, a very strong fighter, a very good fighter in his time, but it it was what was baffling and shocking is how far apart Joseph Parker looked to Deontay Wilder and how it looked like Deontay Wilder was over it, it it looks like he didn't deserve to be in the ring somebody that is 43 and 3 and 1 didn't he looked like he did not deserve to be in the ring with Joseph Parker shouts out to Joseph Parker for winning but if Deontay Wilder doesn't develop his game or develop his body boxing Ackerman develop his skill you're gonna see a lot more of this if he continues to fight so yeah and you can kiss that Anthony Joshua fight goodbye at least right now I mean Anthony Joshua just win one they were supposed to they were in talks of fighting if both were going to win yeah I don't not to mention, I don't even think I thought going into it that Deontay Wilder might destroy Anthony Joshua. 
I was wrong. Because again, I thought you go away for two years, you're developing your skill, you're you're sharpening your craft. Looks like I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And there you have it, man. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to wherever you're watching. Uh, if you're if you have, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube, please subscribe. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as I can. I'm trying to build 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 and i can't do it without you guys' help if you get to this point you're not subscribed like what, what are we doing so <laughs> and if you like the content tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend um also subscribe to wherever you're listening wh wherever dsp if you are listening whether that's spotify whether that's apple music whether that's pandora stitch anywhere please press the follow or subscribe button it definitely means a lot that you subscribe you know I, I try to do it for you guys so it means a lot um also please follow the socials follow instagram follow tiktok i post pretty much daily there i hope that you know just keep it you keep it respectful if you disagree with what i say if you want to get to me in the comments just keep it respectful and we'll go back and forth i have no problem with it um Again, I hope you guys had a great holidays, and until next time, much love. Mm -hmm.